Merry Christmas. It is such a joy to celebrate Advent together. I say that, I think, every year, and I certainly mean that every year. Um, but today just takes on a little deeper meaning that we get to celebrate another Christmas together. So it is a joy, and especially to be able to be together under the authority and the, the beauty of God's written word that we get to open together. What a joy. So with that, would you open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. In the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. There was a young Christian pastor who was attempting to reach his city, and he met with uh, some other leaders of other religions, and they all got together. And as these other leaders started talking to one another, the Christian pastor kind of stayed silent for a while and listened. And what these other religious leaders started to kind of coalesce around was this idea that God was like on a mountain and mankind uh, looks for different paths and climbs up to God their own way, different religions, but they all get to the same God. That's what these other leaders were talking about. And they were kind of getting excited, like, like, hey, we're finding some agreement. We all believe this. And then they look over to the Christian pastor and they say, what do you think about this? Do you, do you agree? He says, no, I don't. In fact, that's what makes Christianity different from all the other religions. We are not climbing up looking for God. We could not. God did not leave us to find our own way to him. God came down and found us and provided the way, the only way to himself, and that's through his son, Jesus. This morning, church, we get to celebrate that beautiful news that God came down, revealed himself to us, and that we get to trust in Christ and be his forever. And that's what this text is going to focus on for this Advent season. We're going to read Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and then we're going to pray and ask for the Lord's help. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. And thank you, Jesus, for becoming the word made flesh and dwelt among us. This morning, Lord, as we celebrate Christmas, may we remember why we're celebrating. May you use your written word this morning to 
bring alive these beautiful truths to remind us and encourage us and help us to see you more clearly and worship you more fully. Increase our affections for you today, O Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All through the Bible, the idea of God being lifted up and separate is consistent. It's it's through the Old Testament, it's through the New Testament, that God is, is higher, he is transcendent in every way. And particularly the prophet Isaiah captures this very consistently. For instance, Isaiah 6.1, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Isaiah 57.15 describes God as the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. And then Isaiah 66.1, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. In biblical writers, in the Jewish mind, there's no doubt Yahweh, God of all creation, is separate, totally above creation, both in proximity and in quality, higher than man, higher than creation, unreachable, untouchable, unapproachable. And God's unapproachability is rooted in this twofold reality of God's perfect holiness and man's utter sinfulness. That the holiness of God is so great that anything with a hint of sin cannot approach his presence or else it will be consumed. And so we're faced with the beautiful truth that breaks in. Holy God, sinful man, cannot come together unless God himself intervenes and somehow, some way, makes it possible for man to approach this holy God. And we know God's solution was he came down. In the Old Testament, we see hints of this. We see the pointing forward of this, like when God came down and met with Moses on Mount Sinai in the visible presence of dark clouds and smoke and thunder. Only Moses could go onto the mountain. No one else, not even animals, could touch the mountain when God's presence had descended or else they would die. Or then we see God's presence coming down into the tabernacle to be with his people. The visible presence of God in that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that would descend over the Ark of the Covenant in the tent of meeting. But no one could go into that place other than the high priest and only once a year and only after he had atoned for his own sin or else he would die. So it's no surprise this idea of God coming down was a terrifying thought. Because it would always end with, or else you'll die. It wasn't something the people looked forward to for the most part. But we also see, all threaded through the Old Testament narrative, this recurring promise coming through different prophets, different circumstances, but that same beautiful, repeated promise that there would come a day 
that God's presence would descend and dwell with his people, and his people would be able to dwell with him. They were looking forward to that day. The tabernacle was but a taste of that promise because God's presence in that time would descend and then would lift. He would appear and then he would disappear. But the prophets kept pointing to that day that God would not always be separate from his people. And that's what we celebrate every Christmas. The fulfillment of that promise where God came down in the person of Jesus Christ. As the angel foretold, Jesus would be Emmanuel, God with us. Now today in our text in Philippians 2, it doesn't seem at least to be a traditional Advent text, does it? Because it doesn't tell the story of the baby in the manger or the angels announcing good news to the shepherds. But make no mistake, Philippians 2 is an Advent text. The Advent or coming of Christ, it certainly includes the manger. But it does not stop there. The Apostle Paul, he's being inspired by the Spirit, pins these amazingly beautiful verses we just read that theologians call the hymn of Christ. Now, this letter of Philippians was written to a suffering, persecuted church. And so all in chapter 1, Paul is reminding them of the value of the gospel, reminding them that the good work Christ has started in them, he will complete. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Reminding them that the height of the Christian life is to live a life worthy of the gospel. That to live for Christ, to suffer for Christ, even if need be to die for Christ, is indeed to be blessed. And in living life out with one another, with fellow believers, that gets lived out. That being worthy of the gospel gets lived out in how we serve one another and prefer one another. Not just being consumed with our own lives and our own interests, but being attentive to the interest of others. Because that's how Christ lived. And so Paul is giving these examples and giving these encouragements. And then he just pauses. It's it's like he takes a big step back in chapter 2. He's not just giving them a list of commands. He backs up and says, now let's all be reminded why and how this is possible for us to live this way. Paul is pointing us to Jesus Now, from our text today, with Advent in mind, we're going to look at three reasons Jesus came down. He came down to empty himself as the humble servant, to be lifted up as the slain Savior, and to be exalted as Lord of all. So first, Jesus came down to empty himself as the humble servant. We know that before the baby in the manger that we celebrate in the Christmas story, The actual Christmas story started eons in eternity before then. The eternal Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. Enjoying perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. Enjoying perfect peace in heaven. Enjoying the the constant worship of angels. And the complete absence of anything painful or sorrowful or sinful. 
to know that fullness of joy, the perfection with God, as God, unstained by man's sin and corruption, high and lifted up, holy, 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 for that to be the eternal existence and experience of the Son of God, then to voluntarily give it all up. To empty himself, as Paul says. To come to earth in the form of a man is astounding. It should blow us away. Fulfilling this this plan of redemption, the plan that was ordained before mankind was ever created, Jesus, aligning with that plan, voluntarily gets off his throne leaves his place at the right hand of the Father and becomes one of us. To be clear now, Jesus never at any moment ceased to be God. But Jesus, Lord of all creation, somehow fit his deity into the the crowded space of a created being. Embracing the limits of that created being in the form of a child placed in the womb of an unwed teenage girl. Still 100% God and still 100% man. And right about this point, if you haven't already, that's where we tap out. That's, why, that's where we throw up the white flag and say, I, I can't comprehend it. I don't get it. Jesus knew we would not be able to get it. Look at the second part of verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Somehow, even after his birth in the manger and then growing up as a child, and in those years we know nothing about from Scripture, then as a teenager, a young man, Jesus always knew who he was. He knew he was the son of God. Mary knew. Even though I really like the song, Mary, Did You Know? Spoiler alert, yes, she knew. The angel told her. She may have forgotten sometimes. She certainly didn't understand it all, but she knew. Jesus knew. He was God in the flesh. But he purposefully did not reveal that to others until he was 30 years old. He knew we would not be able to grasp such a thing with our little minds. That God himself was walking among us. And he was right. Even the people that knew him best. Who would say they loved him most. Seemed to know him least. Struggled believing. So instead, from the beginning, verse 7, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Not only God in human form, but notice specifically in the form of a servant. Think about it. Jesus could have been born equally human, equally in the flesh, and been born in wealth and royalty and in a palace and in in every worldly comfort imaginable, surrounded by servants, and he was worthy of it all and then some. 
But instead of being born surrounded by servants, he was born a servant. A servant is one who does not pursue his own will, but the will of another. A servant does not prioritize his own well-being, but the benefit of another. A servant does not spend his life for himself, but spends his life for another. Jesus said, I come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, John 6. Jesus came to fulfill the will of his father as one who would give himself to heal others. One who would face rejection, even from his own family, so that you and I would never have to be rejected from God the Father. The one who deserved to have all creation fall at his feet, instead washed the feet of sinful men. And ultimately, this humble servant would give his life to save many. The great 20th century preacher R.G. Lee said this, In Bethlehem, humility and glory in their extremes were joined. Born in a stable, cradled in a cattle trough, wrapped in swaddling cloths and poverty, no room for him who made all rooms, no place for him who made and knows all places. Oh, deep humiliation of the creator, born of the creature woman. But in his descent was the dawn of mercy. Because we cannot ascend to him, he descends to us. What a loving Savior. God the Son willingly laying down his heavenly glory to become human, to become vulnerable, to become mortal. And why did Jesus become mortal? Well, the answer is almost obvious, isn't it? So that he could die. And that's the second reason we see from this text that Jesus came down to be lifted up as our slain Savior. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was born a man so that he could die as the Savior of mankind. He came down to be lifted up. Not lifted up in glory and adoration, at least not yet. What had to come first was the most horrible kind of lifting up. And that is to be lifted above the earth, nailed to a cross. Jesus himself often used that kind of description to point forward to his death. In places like John 12... And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Then John 3, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Born to die that we might live, come down to earth to be lifted on a cross. Now, I admit, it can seem strange to talk about the cross at Christmas. I mean, after all, this is supposed to be a time about 
joy and peace on earth and family and food and gifts and decorations and snowmen and Santa and reindeer. And then we kind of get off track, don't we? More and more. I'm not saying all those things are bad. I'm just I'm saying it's kind of strange how our instinct is to take this beautiful, simple truth and pile on garbage. And we forget. We forget who. We forget what. Years ago, when Angela and I first got married, 27 years ago to be exact, obviously coming from two different families, all kinds of different holiday traditions were coming together. We got married in September, so we just had a few months before our very first Christmas. And crazy kids that we were, we just decided, you know what? We're not just going to adopt everything our families did for Christmas. Here we have this unique opportunity to just hit the reset button, for, for, to just come up with our own traditions and to examine maybe some things that we've been forgetting. So just for sake of hitting that reset button, our first Christmas, we didn't have a Christmas tree. You would have thought by the reaction of our families, we had left the faith. I'm sure my in-laws thought, what crazy man have you just married, Angela? But we were in agreement. We, let's, just, let's just do away with some of the trappings. We set up a nativity scene. We still decorated. We still gave gifts. You know, we didn't go crazy. But there was a, that was a helpful moment for us. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with Christmas trees. We have one now, and we got them here, so awkward. No, it's good. We're all right. But that was a helpful moment where, where we just needed to experience some decluttering of our hearts. We, we needed to kind of remove some of the trappings to remember who Christ is and what he's done and why we're celebrating this time of year and, and why it should matter and why it should make a difference. So when we, we think about that, when we, we realize all that gets added to Christmas, let, let's not feel strange about connecting the manger with the cross. Because that reminds us why that baby came down in the first place. He came down to be lifted up on the cross, to be that once for all sacrifice for the sins of God's people. My goodness, that shouldn't put a damper on Christmas. That, that should increase the joy of Christmas and make it that much sweeter to remind us that the peace on earth that we sing about is the peace that we have now with God because of Jesus and redemption through faith in his name. Speaker and author Paul Tripp said this, if condemnation was God's final plan, there wouldn't have been a Messiah birth in Bethlehem. God reached down to us in the birth of his son because sin made us unwilling and unable to reach up to him. Jesus came down, humbled himself as a man to live the perfect life we could not, to die the sacrificial death we deserved. We were unwilling and unable to reach up to him, so he reached down to us. And because he did, there is real hope. Because he did, there is real joy, there is real peace, because through faith in Christ, there is real redemption and forgiveness of sin. Now that's good news for Christmas. 
Jesus came down to be lifted up on a cross as Savior. But because he was lifted up on a cross, there would soon come a different lifting up. And that's our third and final reason we see in this text. Jesus came down to be exalted as Lord of all. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Stop there. That word therefore points us backwards. It connects us to Christ's humility and Christ's exaltation. Those are connected. It's because of Jesus' humility that God exalts him. Because of Christ's humble obedience to the cross that He completed what he was sent to do and is now exalted. Jesus is lifted up, no longer on a cross, but he was lifted up out of the grave in glorious resurrection and lifted up in victory over sin and hell and lifted up to his rightful place on the throne in heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords. The manger. The cross, the tomb, they're all connected. Think about it. The the manger without the cross is, is just a really strange story about a baby born in a barn. The cross without the empty tomb, well, then that's just a sad story of an innocent man dying. But because of the resurrection, we can look back to the manger and see that baby as God incarnate, the word made flesh. And because of the resurrection, we can look back to the cross and see that is no mere man dying, but the sinless Savior of the world shedding his blood for our redemption. That's the good news of Christmas. Don't stay at the manger. The story gets so much better. And it all coalesces and makes sense to our redemption and Christ's exaltation. Now, the manger is empty. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. But the throne is occupied now and forever. And we should say to that, praise God. Verse 10 says, God has exalted Jesus so that, for this reason, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Seeing Jesus as exalted, seated on the throne of heaven and in his glory, in his power, is meant to cause responses in us, one of those being Jesus becomes big and we become small. We become lowered and fall to our knees and join with the angels in crying, holy, holy, holy. Remember who Paul is originally writing to here. A church suffering, being persecuted, rejected, beaten, killed for the name of Jesus. And he's encouraging them 
to be faithful in their suffering and in their trials, to look to Jesus, to take hope and be encouraged in him. What a wonderful opportunity for us in the midst of many trials and a lot of suffering to pause and reflect and say, Christmas is a joyful time for many, but for others, this is a very painful time. Those empty seats at the table, people we've lost, relationships that have been strained, and that just gets reminded all the more when we come together and gather in those family gatherings that for some are joyful and for others are torturous. That in the midst of our own grief, in the midst of our own pain, we can still praise him. That even in our sorrow, we can sing because Jesus is alive, because he rules and reigns forever. Because we know this, church, what we are going through now, whatever the reality is in your now, remember that now is not forever. Now is not forever. God's grace is forever. His redemption is forever. And there is coming a time, there will be no more pain or sorrow or suffering, but we will be able to sing his praises and adore the Lord in his presence forever. In his perfect presence because we will be made perfect in him. That name, Jesus, is the key to it all. The hope we have. The name, as Paul writes, that is above every name. That Paul knew firsthand, at that name of Jesus, demons flee and fears crumble. That at that name, lies are exposed and hopelessness is destroyed and death dies. In that name, joy is renewed and and the dead live again and the blind see. And miracle of miracles, rebels are made sons and daughters, sinners transformed into saints in that name of Jesus. The name of Jesus, exalted above everyone, Paul says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that covers it all. That's everywhere. No one is exempt. That there will come a day that every knee that was ever created will bow and every tongue ever placed in the mouths of people, will confess Jesus is Lord. And that should remind us as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate Jesus' first advent, that we are longing for and looking forward to that second advent. Longing for that blessed one day when all sin will cease and evil will be destroyed and everything will be made right where our once upon a time will finally become our happily ever after. Jesus came, which tells us he is coming again. He saves and will save. He reigns and he will reign. He is worthy, the Bible says, to receive all our praise and our worship and adoration for all eternity. 
But eternity is not something we're simply waiting on. Eternity starts right now. Jesus is already worthy of our praise. Scripture says God has highly exalted Jesus. Past tense. Already happened. Jesus is exalted. The Father has bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name. Past tense. Already happened. That means if Jesus has already been exalted, then he's already worthy of all of our praise, which means we must not wait for that one day to bow the knee and confess with our mouths, but we must do that now, giving him the praise he deserves. It's by God's grace that we can bow and confess. It's by his mercy. It's by his love. And so church, this Christmas... What a joy we have to remember not just the manger, but the cross, the empty tomb, and the throne that is occupied forever by our King. That the challenges you and I would face, my prayer is, not just for Christmas, but for the coming year, that our hearts would be strengthened and encouraged to celebrate Christ afresh, and not simply in these walls, but outside them. Not just with other Christians, but that we would begin to boldly share this good news with others beyond a holiday, but every day sharing the good news of the gospel with others. Whether we are together or apart, whether in Minnesota or in Maryland, we would be faithful to the call that he's given us. I know you will. Because Christ has poured out his life and his love and his grace. And he's faithful to keep us. For that one day we will join around that occupied throne and sing his praises forever. Let's pray. Jesus, how kind you are to us. To allow us to serve together, to sing together, to proclaim the good news together. And yes, Lord, it's even a blessing to hurt together because it's in those times we recognize just how strong you are, just how near you are, just how faithful you are. And so I pray this morning, those hurting would feel your nearness that together we would lift our gaze to that one day where you will come down again and you will dwell with your people forever. It's in your name we pray. Amen.